as often as I wanted to tell you how privileged I am to stand here and and teach something that that I believe is uh, the truth and to see so many of you um, interested in that very thing if I told you as often as I wanted to tell you it would it would bore you to tears but uh, just wanted to take and and you'll hear it more but it is really a joy to um, to have people interested in finding out more of what God says and and then the privilege of being an agent in that process is just um, it's the thing that for me is is so wonderful about the role that I have so just love you love being here love being able to do what we're doing tonight I do think though that before we uh, go very far I, I think we ought to pause just for a minute and you know you've you've heard me say and I say and I'm going to say it probably more that I, I believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world set in the context of the events of the day you know what I mean and I, you probably know what I mean without the context of the events of the day but um, what is going to change that you know what they'll do now they'll talk about gun control they'll talk about <clears throat> the proliferation of firearms and all that business and, and 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 indeed maybe some advance and some lessening of the problem could um, could be achieved it will not address the problem because Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and that's why we have to know who he is his utter uniqueness um, and and be uh, equipped to observe all that he has taught and left behind for us. So um, with that said, I would like to take a minute just to pray for the families who have been so bereft um, by what's happened today. <clears throat> Our Father, none of us are um, untouched by the encroachments of sin all of us are scarred and bruised by um, by sin's cruel devices. If it wasn't in our families, it's in our marriages. And if it's not in our marriages, it's in our jobs. And if it's not in our jobs, it's in our body. If it's it's um, it's so pervasive, sin's advance. And Father, um, we're not here judging. We know what sin has done to us. And I think one of the reasons that we long for heaven is because there will be no more sin. There will be no more of mine. There will be no more of anybody else's. And we long to be delivered from sin's dominion. But Father, having said that, our, our job now is to intercede for people who are absolutely baffled by what has happened today. Uh, first, the families of people who started this day with um, enjoying the weather in spring and now are devastated. And we plead for them, Father. We pre plead that 
even perhaps now, that you'll bring someone alongside them who knows Jesus Christ in all of his beauty. And we'll be able to give some sense to this maddening turn of events. And then, Father, for our city, uh, where now we will hear a lot of stuff in response to this, and I pray that, that the Christian church might shine, that we might uh, use this as an opportunity to be even more bold in declaring to the spheres of influence in which we find ourselves that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. They don't want to hear it, Father. We know that. But if your spirit attends what we do and how we go about it, good will come. That's what we pray for, O oh God, that you will exchange hearts of stone for heart of flesh and that you'll use perhaps this tragedy to allow it to take place in a, in a significant way. Might the Church of Jesus Christ be very alert to every opportunity that she has. And I pray for every church in this city who declares the gospel in fullness. Might we all uh, be um, successful with the message that declares forgiveness in Christ. We make, we make our prayer tonight in the name of Christ Jesus the Lord. What I'm going to have to do tonight is go back and, and just get a little bit of a running start before we get to what we're doing tonight, because I really had uh, intended to finish up last week what we're going to have to start with tonight, so I've got to attach it to something. Let me read the text for you first. Um, we're in Romans chapter 2. I'm going to begin at verse 5 and read through verse 10. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, but, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What I uh, tried to point out last week is that Paul um, is, he, he makes this statement of verse 6, and uh, it, it sometimes becomes a real uh, point of confusion for the people of God because we believe so firmly in a, in a doctrine of justification, justification by grace, justification by faith alone, and then you get a statement like this, uh, render to each one uh, according to his deeds, and I hope that doesn't throw you. Um, he is not saying anything here that Paul doesn't say in uh, James, excuse me, that James doesn't say in James chapter 2. Uh, he doesn't say how they come to be who they are. He simply says that uh, by their, their display, by their choices, by their lifestyle, it will demonstrate who it is that they are. And then he begins to give us two groups of people, or describe two groups of people, uh, righteousness and unrighteousness. And so what we did last week is I, I pointed out three uh, descriptions that are contained in this text concerning what a righteous person looks like. And we did it over three headings. Number one, his general attitude towards God. 
and we talked about how uh, the general attitude of the righteous man is that he seeks glory, honor, and immortality. And then we talked about his um, general tenor of life, uh, or the, the way, the, the general tenor is the best word I know. And um, we, he's described here as patient continuance in doing good. And then their actual conduct being their lifestyle is one of doing good. And then we paused and took that little uh, journey over to First John uh, about and looked at some Greek tenses. So those were the three things that Paul uses to describe the righteous. The, the, the general attitude towards God, their general tenor of their life, and their actual conduct. Now he's going to do the same thing using those same, I'm going to use those same three headings to describe the unrighteous. That is, their general attitude towards God, their general tenor of life, and their actual conduct in describing the unrighteous. Now, so, and, and, and of course it's kind of jumbled up all in these four verses here, so I'm picking and choosing out of there, and, and I hope that you can follow that somewhat clearly. But anyway, so we're, we're describing the unrighteous now. And what is his general attitude towards God? Well, look at verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking. Now, I'm suggesting that that is the general attitude of the unrighteous towards God. It is that they are self-seeking. And, and I suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that that, that pretty much says it all. Um, his self, or... Self is God to the unrighteous. He, he um, is constantly contending with God because God is not his God. What is his God is self. He, uh, he sets his opinions over against God's. And, and is because uh, he does not recognize any authority and any, any reign that this God has over him because the general attitude towards God is that he's seeking self, and self is his God. And then, the general tenor of his life, read on with me, uh, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Um, that is descriptive of what I'm calling the general tenor of his life, and it is that he, the unrighteous, rejects the truth. Um, the unrighteous are great critics of the Bible. They're always finding ways to not believe it. They're always finding objections. I'm going to use a story that I heard today, and I, I, I will make sure that it was completely anonymous, but <clears throat> I meant to ask for permission, and I, I didn't get it. And if I, if I err here, you can rebuke me. After I don't think this is a, a risky thing that I'm about to do, but I was in a conversation with a young woman today, and and she was telling about a, 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 a previous relationship in her life where a man had gotten heavily involved in pornography. And, you know, that's, we're hearing more and more of that in the Christian church, and, and we're trying to figure out how to, how to deal with it. And um, this lovely young Christian woman is baffled as to how this professing Christian man can can justify his involvement in pornography. And here is what he said. <laughs> it's ingenious, basically, ladies and gentlemen, very ingenious. And it, it, I always marvel at the ingenuity of the unrighteous in justifying behavior. Here's how he justified 
uh, pornography. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, people had a lot of wives. That's it. That's it. Now, all I'm trying to illustrate, ladies and gentlemen, is that the unrighteous, the general tenor of their life is that they reject the truth. And they are always looking for creative ways to allow them to do so. They'll, they'll find whatever little twist in their own perverted sense of thinking to reject the truth and are discovering new and creative ways to do it every day because they always are looking for reasons not to believe the truth. And so they can justify just about anything um, with these creative ways because their general tenor of their life is that they reject the truth. And then in verse 9, um, you get a hint of their... Well, actually, it's in, in verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. That is, that their conduct is one of doing evil. Uh, they obey unrighteousness. They spend their money in doing unrighteousness. They, they enjoy doing unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is fun for them. And that is descriptive, ladies and gentlemen. Their general attitude uh, towards God is self, one of self-seeking. The general tenor of their life is that they reject the truth. And their actual conduct is that they obey unrighteousness. Now, having described those two classes of people, he goes on to say in this text what it is that both of those classes of people can expect. Now, notice with me. Look at what it is that is... Um, that is promised to the righteous. Well, in verse 7, eternal life, um, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, um, up in verse 4, he points to this righteous judgment of God that can be expected. And on that day, ladies and gentlemen, it will be determined which group is the one that we're part of. And then promises that those who belong to a righteous, uh, uh, who are righteous, can expect eternal life, um, Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace. But of course, the absolute opposite to those who are a part of another group um, that I have labeled unrighteous. Now, let, let me pause long enough to say this, gang. Um, I, I don't think that any of us should ever get any enjoyment out of that prospect. Um, you know, I have heard uh, a certain brand of preaching where you can almost detect glee in the voice of the speaker as he talks about what is promised to the unrighteous. They'll finally get it. 
Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if I may make a humble, if I may make a confession to you, I don't know how humble it is, but um, I don't know about the rest of you, but um, I am tempted sorely to not believe this. The prospects out, outlined here are just almost too horrible to consider. And if it weren't the Bible that was teaching it, ladies and gentlemen, I wouldn't dare talk about it. Um, you know, I guess, I guess more people are turned off by what it is that we believe as Christians, by what I'm, this concept of the unrighteous, uh, awaiting the unrighteous, indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish than anything else that we believe. Um, I, there are thousands who stay away from Christian churches today because they don't want to ever hear that idea. And, and gang, I, w I don't know about the rest of you, but I would be tempted to reject it if it did not come so clearly from our Lord himself. And I think you perhaps have heard this, this statistic that Jesus in the New Testament, in the four Gospels, speaks more about hell than he does heaven. And then, of course, the epistles are full of it. All I'm saying to you is, um, if it weren't Jesus who taught us this, and of course, this is Paul teaching here, but I mean, would you like to see Jesus teach it? I, 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 we can spend the rest of the night doing it if you'd like. Um, I, I tell you what, why don't we just pause just, just to see one of those. Actually, maybe go with me to Matthew 25. Um, now, I don't know whether this makes a difference to you, but it doesn't to me, and it shouldn't to you, because what we believe is that the whole Bible is inspired, but these words happen to be in red, which you know what that means. And, and for some people, that makes a difference. But this is all red, folks, but it's no more inspired than what you find back here in black print in Romans 2, but, but for some, it makes a difference. Look, look at... Um, Verse 31 of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you in the foundation, uh, from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, etc. Verse 37. Uh, no, no, verse 41. Then he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You know, I, guys, look at that word prepared. Who does that mean? Put it in place. You? <laughs> me? No. I mean, um, the prospect, and, and guys, you want to see it, I mean, I, I'm not going to spend any time, but you know the, the story in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man? Not one word in the Bible about a second chance. Not the least hint that the term is limited. No, no, no smidgen of hinting of, of purgatory or anything like that. Now, all I have to say, if, if it weren't the Savior that taught it, 
I'd be tempted to try and find some way to get around it. Um, but Paul is suggesting that what what he learned from the Lord um, is what awaits the unrighteous. And then, of course, what awaits the righteous are words that are, uh, you know, uh, glory, uh, honor, and peace. Verse 10, to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. No, guys, the purpose that Paul has here, I think, is that as long as any man thinks that his works or his nationality or his family or his birth or anything else will make him right with God, that he will trust that and will refuse to trust Christ. So what he is trying to do is to rip out from underneath them any sense that there's anything out there that could possibly be a basis on which for you to trust other than the finished and accomplished work of Christ. He's trying to tear down every prop, every excuse to prove that the whole world is guilty before God and that there is none righteous, no, not one, which you'll say, of course, in chapter 3. Um, it, it, it won't do you any good to stand before God and say, but I'm a Jew. It, it won't do you any good to stand before God and say, but my father was in the ministry. And so he's trying to eliminate all this family notion, all this nationalistic notion, and to make you see there's nothing for me to stand on. And by so doing, hoping that they will rush to the only foundation that there is. Because as long as there's any smidgen of hope that my nationality would help me, People will trust in that. Um, gang, all of this this description of righteousness as unrighteous, I hope it hasn't formed a wrong conclusion in your mind. Because your, your um, gathered works, your collected works, will never do you, will, will never save you. But listen closely. They can condemn you. Um, because they show who you are. Um, being rightly and properly related to this Christ leads to a lifestyle where the desire of our souls is glory and honor and immortality. One of my my great concerns, and, and, uh, and you might not share this concern, and you don't have to share this concern, because I may not be right. But uh, one of my concerns is in the 20th century evangelicalism, we have been so foggy about our communications, because our language is something like this. We've, uh, for instance, we've said, um, we've told our children to invite Jesus into their heart. Now, again, I, I'm not saying that's wrong information. I'm just saying it's unclear information. What are we asking of our children when we say that to them? Um, or we, we tell folks to accept Christ. Again, good, uh, faithful evangelists have used that language for centuries, well, for, for decades. 
my concern is, does it, does it communicate what we want to communicate? Because what do we want them to do? We want them to race away from any sense of hope on the foundation that is built that is sand. Get off of that and flee to the only solid rock underneath anybody. Does invite Jesus into your heart communicate that? If it does, hallelujah. My concern is that it's foggy. And so, I will tell you this. Um, you will find a lot of people who claim to, or point to some event where they did invite Jesus into their heart, but from there on, they're completely foggy. My plea for you, ladies and gentlemen, is what are we asking people to do? We're asking them to turn from that and lay hold of this. That's called repentance. This is called faith. And there, there is a whole school of thought out there, guys. Um, we, we've, we've mentioned it before. But do you know the text in Romans 10 that says that if you, if you confess Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart that he's raised him from the dead? Folks, you surely don't think that means that as long as I can spit the name of Jesus out of my mouth, that all is then well with my soul, do you? You don't believe that, do you? Because the Savior himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, it's not enough to spit a word out one's mouth. What are we? What are we standing on? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other is sinking sand. Is that what we've told them? Because, folks, again, those words for you may have communicated great content and, and glory to God, and I mean that. But if, they've, if, they've, if folks have come to a conclusion by listening to us that all they must do is spit the name of Jesus out of their mouth, I say to you, the people in Matthew 7 are spitting the name of Jesus out of their mouth. In fact, they're doing it emphatically. They're not spitting it out once, they're spitting it out twice. They're not saying Jesus. They're saying Jesus, Jesus. They're not saying Lord. They're saying Lord, Lord. It's not enough to simply verbalize an idea. What we're asking people to do is race away of a false, from a false foundation and plant themselves on one that will not shake underneath them. Um, and, and guys, you know the parable about building your house on the sand and building your house on the rock and all the business. What do you think's being described there? It's those who, who, who want the same things that you and I want. They want a spiritual Oedipus. Let's get the sucker up. But they go build on a foundation that will not withstand the weight of Christian, Christian living. 
Because if it is not built on the righteousness of Christ, it is built on sinking sand. If we give people an opportunity to trust anything other than the finished, accomplished work of Jesus Christ, we have misled them. You know, um, when I hear people talking about, well, Romans 10, 9 says, uh, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. I confess with my mouth. When, when I hear that, um, I, there's, a, there's a plethora of emotions that go off in me. Because, gang, to understand the purity and beauty of the gospel is not to minimize its demands. All I got to do, you know, just confess with my mouth. No, 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 no. No, ladies and gentlemen, this gospel is so incredibly demanding that none of us will ever attain it. That's why. That's why we lay hold of Jesus. That's why he is, he is so beautiful in our eyes. Because this gospel is something that declares the righteousness of God. You know, I, I, I look at modern evangelicalism, ladies and gentlemen, today that starts with man and ends with man, and I wonder what it is that they built their, their spiritual edifice on. We cannot... We cannot dare um, make that mistake as we communicate the gospel to them. One thing that I, I will pass on to you just as uh, um, just a word of advice. You can take it or leave it. This is just something that I do in my life. I don't know whether you'll like it or not, but it's just something that, that I do. Um, I had a man pray to receive Christ with me in my office about uh, two and a half weeks ago. A uh, man who was a friend of one of our church members was going through a terrible time. He came to my office, and, and lay, he was precious. It was delightful. He couldn't, have, he couldn't have done I went home and told Susie he couldn't have done any more. He couldn't have said any more. He couldn't have been more perfect in his responses in, in terms of, in, in, you know, I, I, I presented the gospel to him, and, and, and I, I, you know, the, he was just hanging on every word. And... Um, and I looked at him, and you know, very quietly and dramatically. I mean, it was just a wonderful moment. And I said, "What are you going to do?" And he looked back at me, and he said, "I want to pray. I want to pray right now." I said, "Wait a minute. Wait just a second. Let's go over this again. Let's make sure that you understand what, what, what you just heard. We went back over it again. And I said, now, what do you want to do? He said, I want to pray. So we knelt at two chairs and prayed. Now, guys, what is your response to that? Let me tell you what mine is. Call it <laughs> narrow-minded, whatever you can call it, what you like. But this is what I always do. I always say, we'll see. I always adopt a wait-and-see attitude. Because, ladies and gentlemen, if you get related to this Jesus, man, <laughs> do things start happening. Not all, you know that. I've never told you that it all happens overnight, but little by little, we begin to long for glory and honor and immortality. 
and and truth oh my does truth ever become valuable to us man do we love this thing little by little people begin to see i used to be that but i ain't that no more because i am headed this direction and only time will tell that that's just the way i do things you can adopt it or not but gang um i saw um I'm almost lying to you. I almost lied to you. Um, because my, my memory is fuzzy. I was about to say it dogmatically. And, and I can't say it dogmatically because I'm 52. Um, um, but I, I want to say it was on a church bulletin board. But it's a little hazy there. So, you know, just uh, take that with a grain of salt. But I, I, I'm convinced it was in a church somewhere. And it was this quote. How did we get here? Here's the quote. Good deeds create good character. That's awful. That's awful, ladies and gentlemen. Because it has put doing in front of being. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. It's not good. You know, and I, and I promise you, you read your commercial appeals tomorrow. And you know what they're going to be telling us? They're going to be telling us that we need to give more money to the United Way. That we need to go out and we need to spend more money on education. Because we're going to clean up this problem in Memphis. We're going to, uh, we're going to have bright, shiny, spanky, clean daycares. And you know the tragedy of that, ladies and gentlemen? They're not wicked, rotten people. They want to do something that'll change things too. But what they believe is good deeds create good character. Just the opposite. Good character always inevitably, invariably creates good deeds. You know, I say it like this and I'm finished. Folks, um, Christianity is not, the, the, the essence of Christianity is not trying to make us better people. It's trying to make us new people. It's almost like uh, you hear in, in some corners that Christianity is like training horses to jump over, you know, little fences. And, and you keep raising the level of the fence and they keep... And, and the longer you go, they just keep getting better and they jump over higher and higher fences. No, ladies and gentlemen, Christianity is not just us jumping over higher and higher fences and making the standards higher. Christianity is creating a whole new kind of being that has wings. And they fly over barriers. Not that they do it all perfectly. They're pretty clumsy at the first. In fact, those people who've been trying just in their own flesh to jump, they even look better than we do in the, in the beginning. But Christianity is not pleading for reformation. Christianity is pleading for transformation. The issue, ladies and gentlemen, as Jesus so marvelously points out, the issue is 
the heart of man that is only changed by a work of God's sweet, free, sovereign grace. And when he does that, the good character results in good deeds. <laughs> and we get wings. We start flying. That's metaphorical, I hope you understand. <laughs> Um, if you need to go to a meeting, this is a good time to go. Uh, yeah, or if you need to answer your phone, this is a good time to do that too. <laughs> uh, meetings, choir rehearsal, uh, you know, all of you just leave me here alone, man. <clears throat> Let me pray now. Our Father, as we sit here today, uh, tonight, we, um, our hearts resonate with joy that that's, that's what you've done to us. You've made us new, and, and little by little, we're learning how to flesh it all out. And, and we thank you, O oh God, that you saw fit in your kindness to exchange our hearts of stone for a heart of flesh. And so, we wouldn't dream of wanting to go back. We love your truth. We love to think about immortality. We love the, the ever-expanding peace that you're giving us. And Father, how, how could we, how can we repay? All we can say, O oh God, is that our lives will be lived gratefully, humbly, willingly, gladly, all in the hopes that some little smidgen of behavior on our part would be used by you to expand the kingdom of our beloved Savior. Father, um, prevent us from misleading, from misstating, from lowering the standards we want to speak Christ to a lost and dying culture. But it's Christ, King Jesus, that we want to speak to them about. Again, Father, we ask for opportunities even in the next 24 hours that will allow us to help people make sense of the tragedies that sin brings on. Use us. For Jesus' sake, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you and good night.